Well, hey, some of you probably missed it, weren't even aware of it, but last Sunday was opening day of the Major League Baseball season. And uh, I mean, you probably have your favorite team, and if you don't, I certainly hope you cheer for the Bows, right, Lane? He was a pitcher for the Bows in the day, back in the day. And uh, you got to cheer for them, and they're having a doubleheader today, and when they win, aren't we excited? And when they lose, what? In fact, your nephew, Lawrence, is a pitcher this, this season, Lawrence Chew, on that team. Well, when they lose, we're kind of like the citizens of Mudville. You, you know what I'm talking about, right, some of you? That poem, Casey at the Bat. I mean, uh, Casey's the hometown hero. He comes up to the plate. It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs. But he can save the day if he, wins a, if he hits a home run, wins the game. We'll, we'll pick it up in the middle. It isn't going very well uh, of this poem. He's got two strikes, okay? The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. Join me on these last two lines. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Why is there no joy in Mudville? Because they were looking for joy in the wrong place. They thought a baseball victory would give them joy. It might have given them some temporary happiness, but it would not have given them joy. Not the kind of joy that Jesus offers to us and that is in our belief reading this week that comes from the Lord and you're going to be reading in your Believe books about uh, all kinds of examples and offers of joy that Christ gives to us. In fact, our key idea this week in this Believe series is despite my circumstances, I feel inner contentment and understand my purpose in life. Joy is the second of ten virtues or qualities that Christ brings out in our lives as we believe the truths of the gospel and as we act upon those truths. These are the fruits of the Spirit. We looked at love last week. This morning we consider, and this week we consider, joy. Now, if it isn't true that you find joy in every circumstance in life, then you'd probably really be interested in our key question this week, which is, what gives us true happiness and contentment in life? Good question, right? Well, our key verse comes from John chapter 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, that includes you if you're a follower of Jesus, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Is there anyone here that wouldn't want complete joy? Yeah, that's what he's offering to us. He wants us to have it. And so we're going to take a look at how we can have that joy, no matter what's happening in our lives, so that joy is the flag flown high from the castle of our hearts. There's an outline in your bulletin. Pull it out if you would. And I want to just share some principles and some passages with you. Here's the first principle. 
We can rejoice in every circumstance when we've identified the source of joy. First of all, we have to understand there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness comes and goes, but joy is a constant in our lives. Happiness is pretty surface in our lives. It's what's happening at the moment. But joy is something deep within our souls. In fact, it's a gift from God. Remember we talked about God's love last week, his agape, and the characteristics of his love for you and me, that it's unconditional, that it's sacrificial, and that it's always forgiving. When we know that love of God and have received Christ into our lives, that puts within us a joy that the world can't take away. Some song said, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. That's joy from the Lord. Also, happiness is dependent upon circumstances, whatever's happening, and joy is independent of those circumstances, independent of moods and issues that are presently happening in our lives. And here's the thing. I don't, for a moment, diminish the depth of hurt or heartache or difficulty that is happening in some of your lives. Well, I hear it, and I uh, sometimes am able to pray with you and our various leaders and Ohana group leaders and staff members. We know that there's some real challenging things, but it's still true that our happiness can ebb and flow, but our joy need not do so. Not the joy that Jesus offers that uh, comes from him because, in fact, he's the source of joy in our lives. When he was talking to his disciples in the upper room, having washed their feet and shared in the Passover meal and then instituting the Lord's Supper, then uh, he takes them that night that he would be betrayed down through the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be betrayed. And there on the way, in all probability, they passed through a vineyard, which is where scholars believe he said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. Now, I've got a picture of a vine and some branches here. These are grapevine, that solid one across there. And uh, the branches come off of that, and they're connected to the vine. And you'll see in this next picture that it's the branches that actually bear the fruit. But they wouldn't bear that fruit if they weren't abiding in the vine, if they weren't connected, right? And that's the truth of, well, in fact, if you trace the, from the grapes back up to the branches, those branches go to the vine, which goes down to the roots and into the soil, and that's where the life comes from that produces that fruit. So when we are connected or abiding in Christ, that's where the life comes from and the joy and the fruit comes through our lives. Got to stay close to Christ, abide in Him. Real quickly, uh, in your outline, it says, abiding in Christ makes us faithful. Abide in me. Uh, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If we stay close to Him, that's being faithful. So abiding in Christ makes us faithful. And... Abiding in Christ makes us fruitful. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if the branch decided on that vine, I'm tired of the vine. I'm going to go over here and lay on the ground and produce some fruit. Not going to happen, is it? That, that branch will die apart from the vine. So do we, spiritually apart from Christ. But if we remain in him, if we abide in him, we will naturally produce fruit. We don't have to work at it. It'll flow through our lives because we're drawing our life through him. What kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, like the fruit of the Spirit. Like love and joy and peace, which we'll talk about next week. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We stay close to Jesus. Those things will flow into our lives and through our lives to others. Even multiply. So abiding in Christ makes us faithful, it makes us fruitful, and it also makes us fulfilled. Jesus said, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Folks, there's joy. In staying close to Jesus, we'll see answered prayer. We'll see fruit come through our lives together, and we'll see people come to know Jesus. And that's another form of fruit that'll be born through our lives as we stay close to Christ. And then Jesus said in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. That's it. Jesus is the source of joy. He really is. For many years now, UCLA has been asking incoming freshmen, what, what do you hope to get out of this course of study? And the uh, number one answer for many years was, I hope to get a meaningful philosophy of life. They probably had a, you know, a list of questions they could choose from. For the last several years, that, question's been near the that answer's been near the bottom. Instead, Financial security is what I hope to get out of this. I'm thinking, with the tuition that is charged these days, I don't think, anyway. Second is fame. I want to get famous through this, my college education. What we've done in our culture is looked for the wrong, in the wrong places for our source of joy. Possessions, fame, money, we think those things will bring us joy, but how many people do we have to hear from personally that say, I was empty when I reached that pinnacle? Wrong source. In a kind of a fun survey that was taken with middle school girls, they were asked, would you rather be the president of Harvard or a personal assistant to Justin Bieber? Three to one, they chose personal assistant to Justin Bieber. And the person that told this actually knows the president of Harvard. And he asked her, well, would you rather be the president of Harvard or would you rather be Justin Bieber's uh, personal assistant? She said, for sure, I'd take that. <laughs> Probably so. Well, the source of our happiness is going to be Jesus. Abiding in him, staying close to him, where we see fruit coming through our lives. That's real joy. We've got to know that that is the source of our joy and the purpose of our lives. Secondly, 
We can rejoice in every circumstance when we've discovered the secret of contentment, source of our joy and the secret of contentment. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church and he talked about this secret. But I think it's really important to note that when he wrote to this church, he was in prison. And yet, the theme of that whole Philippian letter was joy. If you really need to be encouraged and picked up, go to Philippians and just read that over and over. He continually talks about rejoicing and joy from this prison in Rome. And then he said this in chapter 4. He said, oh, he's talking about the gift that they have sent to him. They sent somebody to encourage him. They sent him a monetary gift to support him in prison. And he thanked them. And then he said, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, where, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, the apostle had learned to live in abundance because he had been a leading and upcoming rabbi in Israel. He was so respected. He was well-known by the chief priests and, and, and the priests there in, in Jerusalem. In fact, in 2010, when we took our last trip to the Holy Land, we went to the city of David just off of Temple Mount, and they're excavating under there now. They're always excavating in Israel and in Jerusalem. And they had recently discovered the homes of the priests under there. And they were big. They were large. They were lavish. And uh, these people lived in plenty. Well, the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, that rabbi, and he lived in that kind of a, a climate. He hobnobbed with those people. But now, he is the Apostle Paul, sent out by Jesus, told by Ananias at his conversion that uh, he would suffer greatly for Jesus. And he did. So now he often lived in want. I mean, with no abundance. He said that he'd been uh, five times he had received 39 lashes. Three times he had been beaten with rods. He'd been stoned. Three times he'd been shipwrecked. And he spent a day and a night in the deep. He said, I've, I've been uh, in dangers from rivers. I've been in dangers from robbers, from my own countrymen as well as from the Jews. This was in his letter, the Second Corinthian letter, you know, two Corinthians. A little sidelight there. <laughs> He told about his trials, his challenges, and yet he said, I've learned the secret of being content. And what was the secret? Look at verse 13. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's Jesus was the source of his joy, but also the strength and the source of his contentment, even in the midst of his trials and in his difficulties. Too often, most of us fall into the trap of when and then thinking. We think, well, when I get out of school, then I can be happy. Then I'll just have to have a job. And then we get in that job and we think, well, when I get another job, then I'll be happy. Or maybe people think, well, when I get married, when I find that right person, then I'll be happy. 
Well, when we get kids, we'll be happy. When the kids leave home, we'll be happy. <laughs> no, it isn't about then, it's about now. If we're understanding the secret of contentment is to trust Jesus right now and draw on the joy that he provides at this time. I got an opportunity to practice this this week in preparation for this sermon this weekend. Wednesday evening, Dee and I went down to uh, North Vineyard. We were going to meet some folks from the church down there. And I didn't have it plugged into my phone. And I was looking for the address and kind of got turned around. So we parked in a park down there at North Vineyard. And um, just left the car for a few minutes to get directions. And uh, came back. I opened the back door and there was like all these little things on the seat. I'm like, what is that? I wasn't even putting it together, you know. Started brushing it off and cut my hand. I said, whoa. Looked up and the whole back window was gone. <laughs> By the way, I had just gotten this car out of the body shop. Remember that other story? Oh, no. And then I saw a gal walking toward me and I said, did you see what happened? She said, no, but I heard it. This, this kid, he went whack him with his skateboard, knocked out your back window. And then he went over on the basketball court, and he's beating up this kid with his skateboard. And she said, I think he was mad because somebody threw one of those fighting chickens in his face. And I said, well, well that explains it then, you know. So, <laughs> so I got to tell you, in that moment, I wasn't real happy. But then I realized the sermon I was working on. And I said, <laughs> seriously, and I said, hey. This didn't take my joy away, and it really, in fact, Dee and I started talking about it, and I realized, wow, not a big deal at all. I mean, people have a lot more challenges in their lives than this. In fact, that noon, I was supposed to have had lunch with John Smith, whom I shared with you several weeks ago, his battling pancreatic cancer. He had to cancel because he'd been in the emergency room six hours the day before, hadn't slept the night before, couldn't keep his pain meds down. John is not happy about that, but I want to tell you, I talked to John on the phone. He's joyful, isn't he, Greg? He has joy, even in the midst of that. And I think that's the secret here, is realizing joy isn't about what's happening around me, but it's knowing Jesus and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's really true. And here's the thing, too. These trials, it's easy to be happy when things are going well and we can talk about joy then because yeah that kind of coincides with our happiness but when the trials come we can also be joyful knowing all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose two things that at least we can know about these trials one is this trials we encounter lead us to maturity Paul talks about that in in Romans chapter 5, I, I won't even take time for that, but look at, look at it if you'd like to in, on your own time. And then in James, the apostle speaks of it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, it may seem kind of weird in the midst of a trial if you appear to be joyful. But you can do so knowing 
that Christ gives you strength and that, that God's going to use this to bring you to maturity, develop endurance or perseverance. David Brooks is a columnist for the New York Times. He also is on PBS's NewsHour. He's a senior editor for the Weekly Standard. He has come to faith in Christ late in life through the teachings of John R.W. Stott, who was the, the rector of All Souls Church in London, England for many years. And uh, David Brooks has written a book called The Road to Character. He was on Focus on the Family this past week, and he was being interviewed by Jim Daly. And uh, he, David Brooks said that he had achieved more in his life than he ever thought that he could, and he realized that he really was quite shallow as a person. He said, I began to think about character and what it is, and I realized there's a difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. He said resume virtues are the things we put on a job application, our skills and such and our accomplishments, the things that we bring to our work that help us to do a good job at work. But he said, that's fine. But he said, eulogy virtues are the things that we hope they'll say at our funeral after we're gone. She was kind and caring. He was honest. Uh, she was generous. Those kinds of virtues that our culture seems not to care about anymore, but rather it's all about accomplishments and achievements. So he said he took 10 people and he wrote about them, how their lives were a mess at age 20, but they turned a corner and by age 70, they had become people who exuded those kind of character qualities. Well, that's what Christ wants from us if we'll stay close to him and we will become such but it's not easy here's the thing salvation's free right for by grace you've been saved through faith but sanctification is going to cost us something becoming holy becoming like Jesus exuding those characteristics is going to take some effort and some time this Keala Oyesu, the path of Jesus, uh, worshiping the Lord, connecting with others, serving the Lord, reaching the lost. Yeah, that, that's going to take some time in the Word and prayer and fellowship and, and growing. Uh, and, and that's what builds character. Here's what, here's what David Brooks said. The struggle against our vices gives us meaning and shapes our lives. This self-confrontation with your own weaknesses is the central drama of life. He said we all have a chief weakness or more and as we turn, well as I say, as we turn to the Lord and follow Him, staying close to Him, we'll see those transformed into virtues. Brooks did mention this. He said that when we encounter trials, real hardships in life, there's a natural tendency for us to shrink back into ourselves. And then we have a choice. Some people then stay there and they become small and bitter. Victims. And that now defines me. Whatever happened, I'm a victim of that from now on. But some people, on the other hand, when they get there, 
begin to empathize, looking around and seeing that others have problems too, and begin to reach out and to serve them. And they grow as a result of it, and, and they're transformed in the process. An example that he gave is a young man by the name of Kennedy Odede. This young man lives in Nairobi, Kenya. He's in the Kibera slum where he has a set of schools operating. We've been there, Robert, uh, when we've gone to Nairobi. And uh, we're working presently in the Mathari Valley slum, which is the oldest slum outside Nairobi, but Kibera is the largest. Well, Kennedy Odede has this series of schools in there, but David Brooks said he's the most cheerful guy I've ever met. He's always got to laugh. He's always got to quip. I mean, he's the kind of guy you just want to be around that just brings joy. And then he said, I found out about his backstory, that he grew up in the Kibera slum, in one of those 10 by 10 little shanties with an abusive stepfather. He was, well, he nearly starved to death various times. He uh, stole a melon from a market. Somebody about beat him to death for that. He um, was almost killed in a racially violent situation at one point uh, as he was attacked. And yet here he is, joyful. What happened? He made some decisions in his life not to let that define or to destroy him, but to turn and move in a different direction. Well, that's what happens with us when we choose, in spite of our circumstances, to trust the Lord and realize he can use this to help me to grow in endurance and to see that others need help as well. Not only does it lead us to maturity if we look to the Lord, but trials we encounter are not wasted in light of eternity. Isn't that good news? Paul Bilheimer wrote the book, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. We don't waste them if we trust the Lord in the midst of them, let him accomplish his work in us, and use them then to empathize and to serve others. I won't even go to the passage this morning, but it's in 1 Peter, where Peter writes to a persecuted church, and there's many persecuted churches in the world today that are suffering greatly and dying for their faith. Well, he writes to a church like that. He talks about their wonderful salvation and how... They rejoice in that, but he says this. You've come to know the Lord. You believe in him, even though you don't see him. And because of that, you have found joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's to the persecuted church. If they can, can you and I in our circumstances? I think so. Let me just close with this. You know, we talk about Jesus coming into our lives there's that verse in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in. Well, we know that when we invite Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. We say he comes into our heart, okay, symbolically. So if Christ is in our hearts, then he's the king, right? And our heart becomes his castle. And so... There was a song that was sung by the Continental Singers back in the 1970s, and it said, there was a line in it, Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. I want you to hear a 20-second 
clip of that song from the Continental Singers. Listen to this. Isn't that great? Fly it high in the sky. Let the whole world know that the king is in residence there. And that happens when the king is in residence and joy flows from our lives. But sometimes we let the circumstances steal our joy. And that's not a very good witness, right? The people that we work with, the people that we live with, ought to see that no matter what happens, we still have joy, even though we may not be happy in that moment difference, right? In fact, one person told a Christian, I know you're saved, brother, but you should notify your face. <laughs> Here's the problem. When, when Jesus is in our lives, and that's, he's in the castle, sometimes we don't let him be on the throne. We depose him. We put him in the basement. And we put ourselves on the throne, and then worry is the flag flown high from the castle of our heart. Or anger is the flag flown high from the... Or unforgiveness or regret is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Or guilt or whatever it may be when self is on the throne. So what we need to do is repent of that, of being on the throne, and step off, put Jesus on the throne if we've invited him into our lives, let him have the rightful place in our hearts, and then joy will be the flag and can be the flag flown from the castle of our hearts, no matter our circumstances. And then let's come back to this key idea, and let's, by faith, declare this together. Despite my circumstances, I feel inner contentment and understand my purpose in life. Lord, thank you for the joy of salvation, of knowing you, of that relationship that we can have with you, because... You are the source of our joy, the secret of our contentment. We pray this in your name. Amen.